0: Welcome to Lumpin' Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on Lumpin' Radio. This week, we discuss the return of businesses to Chicago after the lockdown, the impact on the arts and music community, and if sports will return. All this plus the Trump Diaries, Size Matters, and AWCYFM. only on the Lumpin' Week in Review for May 29, 2020. Mario Smith chatted with David Chavez of Dcase about how the pandemic has decimated venues and festivals. Chavez talked about many of the mooted alternatives from virtual concerts to live streams and discussed what may have to be done to save smaller music halls. News from the Service Entrance airs every Thursday at 2 p.m.
1: It's my friend from the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, David Chavez, joins us on the show. Ooh. Hey, man. What's up, Dave? What's up? sir? This is a great day in Black history. David Chavez is here. On that note, man, last year and the subsequent years before that, the city around this time would have had Gospel Fest, getting ready for Blues Fest, I believe. Taste of Chicago would be right around the, the, the corner. You've got all the festivals going on around the city. And in March, everything stopped. The world paused, or at least in America, definitely paused. Um, and And here we are now in May uh approaching summer with a very skeleton music schedule what first of all how has dk's been holding up and and i'm i'm not gonna put you on the spot spot but i am gonna put you on the spot about a couple things how has dk's held up with literally like no no game plan for something like this and have you guys developed uh a plan Um, to carry on in in 2020 with some music for
2: folks to enjoy? Um, I mean, obviously, you know, it's, no one can be, you know, prepared for something like this. Um, And I think it's sort of, I don't want to say it came up really quickly, but I think that a lot of us didn't, didn't really pay as much attention to it or, or didn't really like take it as seriously as we, as, as it turned out to be. And I, so I think like, you know, it's hard to to plan for something like this in general, right? And then, like, you know, we were pretty much done, like, programming everything for the summer, more or less.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, we hadn't really announced anything. So, you know, on the one hand, like, you know, it was fortunate that we hadn't because then we could sort of, like, readjust and and pull back and, you know, like, kind of recalibrate a little bit, but also trying to, to imagine what what kinds of things we could do within this environment, you know, is is also challenging, right? And I think this is what, what like everyone's face, like all presenting organizations, all promoters and venues, like this is what they're facing, right? It's like how do we how do we present work? How do we um, put on performances for people when you can't gather in person, right? And like that right. that gathering together is is what makes the musical experience so magical for a lot of people. You know,
1: I I know that, um, like you said, you hadn't had a chance to start announcing things this year was going to be probably one of the best years in in the history of the downtown music series with with the people you had lined up, not counting the event that I was working on. But (laughs) it was it was going to be legendary. So do you take this calendar and just move it forward to twenty twenty one?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, once we announced, like, the cancellation of our House Gospel and Blues Festivals, um, we simultaneously announced, sort of, like, just doing some some uh, programs in honor of those festivals, but also, like, um, the extension of Year of Chicago Music until into 2021.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I mean, so much, you know, so much has, has been, so much work has been put into it. So many people have, like, put so much effort um, and... Yeah, it would just be a shame to not, you know, honor Chicago in that way because of a global pandemic. You know, yeah. like yeah. we can, we can, we can extend this and we can do this in 2021. Um, you know, there was just no way to really honor that um, for this year in the way we wanted to.
1: I know the other thing that that really uh, kind of digs into what Chicago music does. Uh, for the world is our wonderful venues that we have in this city. We have some of the best music houses on earth in Chicago, and they've all been shuttered. What, yeah. And I don't know anything about any behind the scenes talks or anything like that, but I imagine unless the capacity of people that can be around each other doesn't get past a hundred, a lot of these places are going to be closed until twenty twenty one, if they open up again at all, do you have any insight or or what's your feeling about our music venues? And I'm talking about our our powerhouse joints, the metros, uh, the the mm. the you know our our spots that people go to, our sub our promontories, mm. our reggies, places like that.
2: I mean, you know, like these were the the first places to shut down, and in a lot of ways, they're going to be the last places to open if they do open. You know, and like. Um, it's this the situation is critical for them. Like we could, in theory, see the collapse of our nightlife scene in Chicago unless something happens. Right. Unless we can figure out ways and they could figure out ways to to um, support um, each other and get get access to funding to help them keep afloat. You know, um, you know, the the. They've, they've gathered together an, an organization called Civil, the Chicago Independent um, Venue League, um, last year, I think maybe the year before, but definitely last year, um, when they were sort of fighting um, the encroachment of, like, um, the Lincoln Yards, right? And, right. and, and so, that, you know, I think because of that, they were in a position to act a little quickly and start to mobilize, and that spawned off into a national um, organization as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we, we, we don't realize how thin those margins are at some of these venues until something like this happens, right? Like, you know, we think, you know, the artist, the the typical artist, right, is like, is like living gig to gig and and check to check. And a lot of ways venues are the same. You know, there's a lot of expenses that go into it. There's a lot of money going out and, you know, it's just like it's it's tough and so like you know you can't really again prepare to financially be closed for two months and three months and four months and like you know um it's it's scary you know it's scary for them it's scary for us too like people that like are active and rely on on our livelihoods through venues right either as bartenders as door people as as uh, musicians as lighting and sound technicians you know as like barbacks like you know that's like the economic impact that that scene provides to the city is so huge i think that people underestimate that and like um yeah it's just really scary you know and i'm not sure that all of them are going to make it to be honest well
4: you know but i think the impact of that i mean not to cut you off there but the impact has been estimated at like 300 million dollars to the city of chicago i mean it's an enormous part of the economy and the tourist economy that the city's been built on so as a right. as a programmer and as somebody that's involved with you know a city initiative and dk's has done some wonderful stuff what can you guys do when we're able to lift this lockdown to try to give venues and and all the stuff that you guys have been doing over the years what can you guys do to, to jump start things
2: again I mean, you know, one of the things that we had started doing actually um, before all this happened was to try and and support the venues by um, using a model similar to like the World Music Festival model where we actually host um, and rent out venues to host free concerts um, for for people, right? Um, The other thing that we've been doing is giving um, these sort of like around the jazz festival, giving grants to venues to program things and sort of piggyback on the umbrella of the city's um, promotional sort of power behind some of those festivals. Um, You know, in this current climate, like, you know, our budgets have also pretty much evaporated because they're based on a percent of the hotel-motel tax, right? And so, like, that's kind of gone. Um, But, you know, like, we can try and, and do things like um, rent a venue to do some live streaming right or, or recording at the venues um things like that i think you know but but i you know in terms of ec- the economics of it there's nothing that i think dk's can do right now to really get them out of that situation right like it's it's uh, it's much much bigger than than a couple of um rentals here and there and, and, you know, a couple of grants, right. They need some serious, serious uh, power. Now, I think, you know, as, as a city, you know, I can't speak for our commissioner and and I can't speak for DK's, you know, officially about this, but like, you know, I think that there's a way that, that we can get together and, and raise some funds for them. Right. And I think after all that's done, there's gotta be a way to ensure that this doesn't happen again with these venues. Right. I think that them mobilizing, um, is gonna make them stronger at the end of this, those that are that are still standing, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, it's tough, you know, like I think everyone's in the same situation. Um, some worse than others, but um, it's hard. Like we can do what we can do, but like it's not gonna it's not gonna impact them the way that, that they need to be impacted at this time. In terms of like what DKs can offer. Um, you know, I think that there's probably some some funds you know elsewhere that they need to tap into and maybe DKs can help them access those. Um, but we as programmers, like, you know, that's the extent that we can do is maybe program things in their venues once they reopen or rent them for like, live streaming things, things like that. But, you know, that's not gonna really dig them out of the hole.
1: One of the things that I, we I'm sorry, let me back up. What am I doing with David Chavez? David Chavez is taking some time out of his enormously busy schedule, living apparently in a tropical forest uh according to this video Uh, uh, um i was thinking about do you and i'm sure you remember and i know jamie remembers there was a time in chicago when there was a big concert it was on tv and it was on tv for everybody to see and it would be simulcast on a radio station so if people were riding around they'd be able to hear it you'd be able to get the proper sound in your home and all that kind of thing um could we be looking at a back to the future kind of scenario where we start going back to those things to get attention to our our venues while while we're in this downtime and mm. the other part of that is are you hopeful that we'll be able to see something similar to the boom that we had late 90s early 2000s of these music venues and their power or are you hesitant to 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 say that just yet
2: um I mean, you know, anything is possible right now. (laughs) Like, we've never seen this before in our lifetime, right? Like, um, so it's hard to say. I I I wouldn't even want to, like, guess, right? But I I know that, like, I have, you know, I have faith that, like, after all this is done, the artist sector, the art sector that includes, like, entertainment and venues, I think they will come out of this, you know, um, stronger with fresh eyes. and, And I think that the creativity in chicago is going to boom definitely um once once things get moving again um whether or not you know again everyone's a part of that is is yet to be seen
0: Ben Jarofsky chatted with legendary sportscaster Tom Schar about the Chicago sports scene and his decades at the score. Schar talked about his tenure covering the Cubs, his years with Michael Jordan, and whether or not sports can return at all in this post-pandemic world. The Ben Jarofsky Show airs every Friday at noon.
5: So I thought it'd be a great idea to close out the last dance portion of this discussion by bringing on the great Tom Share, who for years was a uh, TV anchorman, sports anchorman. He had his own radio show uh, 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 talking sports. The man knows Bulls basketball inside and out. Young Tom Scher, welcome to the show.
6: Ben, always good to be with you. I just, I, I want to you to know that I have one of those collector's item hats which says, Ben, B-E-N, from your <laughs> radio career, man. It's just great to be with you.
5: All right. Now, just let's get a couple things out of the way first. Uh, number one, uh, Tom Sheer was the, the press spokesperson for Joe Barrios, And as such, when he was the county assessor, I would call him from time to time to talk assessor's news. And usually about, I would say, 90% of the conversation was about sports. Uh, that's number one. Number two, Tom Shearer is going to be on the show today, talking about his expertise covering the Bulls. But this is a secret that he he's a, he's kind of ashamed to reveal. He's actually a Boston fan, so don't hold that against
6: him, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, he's that a- is not that <laughs> is not true. I. And I'll tell you right now, I'm telling you straight out. For years, I was—I grew up a Boston fan, but I was a Boston fan and a Chicago fan once I came here. I've been here 37 years. Okay. So, all right, but hang on. I will admit that it was difficult, uh, but I never had any conflicts because neither city was good at the same time, all right? how Even when, when Jordan beat Boston with the 63-point game, I didn't care about the Celtics. They'd won plenty of titles yeah. by that point. Who cares? But... Uh, in 04, when the Red Sox won the World Series, that monkey was off my back, and the next year, my White Sox played the Red Sox in the first round, and I went to all three games, including Game 3 at Fenway Park, which I covered, and I was insanely rooting in my heart for the White Sox. So... I'm Chicago all the way, baby. All right. And when the Cubs won it in 16,
5: I was balling like a baby. All right. Now, wait, hold on. But just uh, a a quick correction. And and Jordan did drop 63 on the Celtics in 1986. But unfortunately, the Celtics won that game at double overtime. So the Bulls did not win that game. Jordan did not beat the Bulls in 86 in that one game. He did drop uh, uh, 86. Now, I got to ask you, I got to ask you, Tom. You, all right. So I know you grew up a sports fan in Boston. Uh, and you're a diehard uh, follower of sports. But for years, uh, you were a, a sports journalist. And the the rule of the convention, I always thought, is no cheering in the press box. So is Correct. that is that true the the writers and the, the the reporters just keep their mouth shut and don't cheer when they're watching a game?
6: That is absolutely true, I have to tell you. It's it's very impressive because it's hard not to sometimes. Um, but, yes, that is correct. I've never been in a press box where I heard cheer maybe some Mickey Mouse guys in small towns and stuff, but never the Chicago guys. Um, never, never seen it. That is und-
5: – I mean, you guys are watching some incredible – see, this is why I could never have been a sports reporter. I'm a fan. I'm a diehard fan. Right. I love I – love, well, I love both baseball teams. Uh, I'm really down on the Bears right now. The Mitch Trubisky drafting, I've just, I can't deal with them right now. I just cannot deal with the Chicago Bears. I know we're here to talk about the Bulls. I cannot deal with the Chicago Bears passing up Patrick Mahomes to take Mitch, trade up for Mitch Trubisky. I can't deal with them right now. But I am a diehard sports fan. So I don't know how I could go to a game. I would be so uncomfortable and irritated not sure. That's
6: a good point. I will tell you this. When I go to games as a fan and during my sports casting career, it was 30 years when I was either at channel five or at the score or WBBM, wherever I was. Um, I did not cheer in the press box. I wanted the teams I was covering to win because that, how, do you, how do you not, unless they're bad guys. I never, don't remember a lot of bad guys. Ever. But it's good for us and the city and the region and the fans when they win. And what's good for the region is good for everybody. So I wanted them to win, but I didn't cheer. But I'll tell you this, when I go to a game, you, you sit near me. I'm an insane fan. <laughs> no no profanity, no nothing inappropriate, but I am all over the place to the extent where some of my family members get a little embarrassed. And uh, I'm very vocal when I'm Joe fan. I love it. I always have been. All right. Now there's a lot to cover uh,
5: with the bulls. And the documentary and the time period, uh, and eventually we'll get to the split up. Really want to pick your brains. I read a essay you wrote in 1998 that's very prophetic on this issue. But let's start at the beginning. That'll be a tease to the end of the split up of the Bulls. 1984, Michael Jeffrey Jordan is drafted by the Bulls. Did you have any inkling that he'd be as great as he is?
6: No. And no one did. Even Rod Thorne, the general manager who drafted him. I mean, they wanted Hakeem Olajuwon. Everybody did. But he went first to Houston. You know, as, as Red Auerbach always said, you can't teach height. If you can draft height, you got it. Otherwise, forget it. So we all thought, you know, a dominant center, but Bulls didn't have the number one pick. Nobody, uh, people thought Jordan would be a very good player. Not a problem. But nobody, including the Bulls, thought that. In fact, ironically, right now, you know what I'm looking at? Right. My press credential from the 1984 NBA draft. <laughs> I got it right here on my desk.
5: Where, where did they, you, you were actually in, what was it, New York? You were in New York? No, no, I was here. I came to Chicago in 1983. No, but I mean, there was a a draft.
6: Oh, well, pardon me. I say covering it. That's a little bit of a misnomer. The Bulls, and they still do this, they set up a draft central for the media at their headquarters. And back in 1984, they didn't have a headquarters. They were still practicing at Angel Guardian. They weren't even at the Multiplex in Deerfield, where they went after Reinsdorf bought the team. Um and then years later, he built the Birdo Center. But uh, And the Bulls were one of the first to have their own dedicated training facility. No, in 84, uh, the Bulls would set you up at uh, – we were at Spiaja, that restaurant at uh, 980 North Mish. And um, that was the same building the Bulls' offices were in, as I recall. I see. So we, that's where the Bulls had their draft night uh, media headquarters – I think even right into the, I think the 1991 draft was the last one when they drafted Mark Randall. So the, we were all there, and no, we were not in New York. They, we covered the Bulls, we did it at the Bulls headquarters, all, all right. the Chicago media. Mark Randall.
5: <laughs> I'm sorry, you just dropped that name out of nowhere, Mark Randall. I know. Uh, all right, wait, uh, I just have another quick correction. In 1986, this is total Bulls geekdom, the Bulls had a party. I had to Conrad Hilton for their draft. I, I remember this because I was there. And everybody at that party wanted the Bulls to take Johnny Dawkins. And I just remember the buildup. Johnny Dawkins, the guard, played for Duke. Uh, and they saw oh, Dawkins and Jordan in the backcourt. It's going to be unbelievable. The Bulls need a point guard, blah, 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 blah. And when it came to the draft, they the uh, Red Kerr got up and announced, I think it was Red Kerr, that the Bulls were drafting Brad Sellers. It was boom. <laughs> Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me okay? Oh, I, I couldn't hear you there yeah. for a second. Anyway, so I uh, just had a different uh, draft night uh, memory. Where, where was that? Yeah, then? they
6: used to have a fans thing they did for years, then they stopped doing those. But uh, they had the media thing at their headquarters, I recall that. Got it. All right, the lowly fans.
5: All right, so we we uh, you were talking about uh, nobody uh, knew Jordan was going to be great. When did you first realize that? that he was going to great. What, what did it take? Was it preseason, the regular season? When did it first dawn on you that this was the real deal?
6: It was at a gym for a preseason game, I think, in Beloit, Wisconsin. They used to play some preseason games in Beloit. And I, I just can't remember the exact venue, but it was during the preseason watching this these exhibition games. I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is only the exhibition season. What? So pretty much as soon as he got on the floor, I thought he would be – honestly, I really thought he'd be a future Hall of Famer. Greatest player ever, which he is. No, but I thought he'd be uh, definitely a Hall of Famer. Because, you know, I was raised on the Celtics of everybody from Bill Russell, who's the greatest uh, of all time at that – type of position, uh, down to Sam Jones and KC Jones, uh, who were role players really for those teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Sam, I what I mean. So I knew you could be, and those guys are all in the Hall of Fame, every one of them. Mm-hmm. So I knew you could be a Hall of Famer and not necessarily be the greatest player ever. So I thought he'd be a Hall of Famer if you put together a good 12 to 15 year career. But uh, you
5: didn't think greatest player ever. Now, you mentioned Bill Russell, so quickly I want to ask you this question. When Craig Hodges was on the show last week, he started talking about contrasting Jordan and Bill Russell. And he was noting that Jordan was uh, talking in the documentary about his need to chide teammates, sort of bully, be the bully in order to get teammates to play better. And Craig Hodges opined that Bill Russell never did that that Bill Russell was always a gentleman to his teammates, even though Bill Russell was a superstar, one of the great players. Uh, what's your thoughts? Correct. Craig
6: that? Hodges is 100% correct. Mm. So, did you? He's bu- absolutely correct. Um, I used to know Bill Russell pretty well. I won't lie and say I know him now. I haven't seen Russ in probably 25 years. But I talked to him a lot, and he wasn't around Boston that much. He had to, he kind of reconciled with the city in, after I left, after I came to Chicago. But I I did see Russ often enough, and he had a he had a, a member of the clergy who was a friend of his, and I knew this clergyman, and we talked. Enough times for me to know, and also I talked to Red Auerbach a million times, and John Havlicek was still playing when I was covering the Celtics. I was a college freshman, my and I got my first media job, and that was Havlicek's last year. And I talked to all these guys, and Bill Russell was an outstanding teammate. He did not bully the street guys. He didn't do it. The only controversy with Bill Russell is he wouldn't sign autographs, and that included for his teammates and Tommy Heinsohn brought some roses in the locker room once or outside the locker room and asked Russ to sign some up, Guess he wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And that was a issue for Heinsohn for a while, but then he just realized that's the way bill is. He'll shake hands. He'll have a conversation, but he thought autographs were ridiculous so you, until he got paid to do them as a senior citizen. <laughs> uh, yeah.
5: That's something else. So you don't buy the notion that, uh, to be a leader, you have to be a bullier, a bully.
6: Um, I do buy it. It depends on who the leader is. Um, I don't know of too many leaders who were bullies. Uh, Jordan, honestly, is the only one who comes to mind. Um, But I'm I'm going to apologize for Michael. I felt badly at the end of one of the part, I think it was part eight. I can't remember what part it was, where he broke down trying to explain why he was so tough. Um, If that's what works for you, that's what you have to do. So I I can't recall any other guys who the teammates told me were bullies but um Ted Williams could be difficult. Jimmy Pearsall was one of my dear friends got arrested Jimmy Soul and he said Ted could be difficult, not on the teammates but he might he might gripe about teammates talking to the press because Ted didn't talk to the press back when he was a player. He might criticize other teammates doing it so he could be a pain in the neck. But if if it's whatever works for you. See, Ben, here's the problem and this is what nobody's has ever really, I don't remember any sports reporter ever saying this, and it took me years to figure it out. I'm not some genius, but here's the thing what is one of the strongest human emotions? It's fear. It's fear. Now, if an insurance guy does a lousy job, who knows he screwed up? And I've had some insurance men screw up on me, okay? Who knows that? Yeah. They know it. The policy holder knows it, you know, the customer, one customer knows it. And maybe the home office, when you call to complain, Okay, the regional director note that he wrote your policy wrong. Okay. Um, if a basketball player screws up, who knows? Millions and millions of people. So how do you overcome that fear of failure? You have to have supreme confidence, the highest confidence. Well, it's not much of a, Thick, thick line. It's a very fine line between confidence and arrogance, confidence and ego. I've known a lot of good broadcasters. They were egomaniacs. Well, what kind of person goes on the air? and doesn't mind putting himself out there. If you have bad broadcasts, you look like an idiot in front of all those people. It brings out the ego in you because you have to have ego and confidence to overcome the fear. And that's what makes the great ones successful. And there's not a single broadcaster out there, including myself, who, when they were on the air, didn't have a substantial ego. You have to have it. It's just a matter of what degree. There's not a great athlete out there who doesn't have a substantial ego. Ego. It could be a quiet ego like Anthony Rizzo of the Cubs or Tim Anderson of the White Sox, even though he flips his bat. He's not an egomaniac, not at all. Or it could be a raging ego like Michael Jordan. It's whatever makes you great. And I don't think people understand greatness. George Gershwin was an egomaniac, a colossal egomaniac. But these were great men and women at what they do. And I, I have no problem if that's what Jordan thought he had to do. It's unfortunate. I would like to have seen if it would have worked the other way. We'll never know if Jordan could have been a great leader and not be the type of tough guy he was. We'll never know. Well, here's but what thing. we do know yeah. for sure mm-hmm. is right. that what he did worked. All right. And it worked brilliantly.
7: Size matters, size matters. Smith Kyle Seismankowski. Hey there, Trekker, I see you're working on the old soldering iron there. Shove it, Kyle. Oh, whoa, what's with the hostilities? It's a lovely fall day uh, in the I'm sorry, Kyle, it's these f***ing lumpen computers. They keep breaking and it's driving me nuts. And hey, that sounds like you no, need no, a- no, 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 Last time we listened to you, our entire server got sent to Latvia. I'm still paying off subscriptions to Jermala Shviete, whatever the hell that is. I think that's a bridal service, but no, I'm telling you, I got this guy here. Hey, what's it's- going on, Jagos? Oh, great mutton, Jeff.
8: I will overlook that remark so that you may admire my fine new Rolex. Uh, uh, uh. Look at it. It's catching the light. It's sparkly.
4: The heck did you get the money for that? Oh, I didn't buy it. Okay, guys, this is great, but I still have to
7: solder this mother f- uh, board back in. I'm telling you, I have met this computer genius, and he can solve the problem here. Are you
8: talking about Cole? Oh, my iPhone has never been better.
7: Yeah, it's Cole. I- I-, I my little flipper here can make calls anywhere because of this guy. Kyle, that's an old can of shoe polish, not a phone. Now, come on. Ah, shoot, that's me. Hold on. Hello? Hello? Uh, yes, this is he. Why yes, I would love to discuss reverse mortgages. That's mortgage. a can of oh yeah. Squatting. Squatting. I'm that's, gonna, that's gonna like, regret this, aren't I? Almost certainly. So this is the home of the computer mancer. the flying fingers, the technological wizard of Tamara. Ah, uh, this is the old Linus. I heard it, it was infested with rats. Yeah, what's that got to do with computing? <laughs> Nothing. It's just who
9: dares trespass into my arcane sanctuary? Ah, uh, yeah, maybe so. This is a bad idea. Speak your business, mortal, lest I rain brimstone and cyber bolts down upon thine
7: head. Yeah, I mean, you should at least look at the problem. We came all this way. I mean, he's we got walked your... across the street, Kyle.
9: Oh, I see now. Once again, the townsfolk of Bridgeport. Crawl to my doorstep entreating the great computomancer for tech support. Well, if you think it's a poor decision, feel free to exit through the portal to your left. So
8: distrustful, ah. Jamie.
9: No. By all means, please leave me to my studies. I was embroiled in a friendly psychic duel before you so now, rudely interrupted well,
4: Jesus. Okay, look. Here's the laptop. What it's doing is- Silence!
9: My mystical scrying will tell me all that is plaguing your device. Yeah, that's not good. Nitium. What the f- You desired it to run, yes? Now it runs quite well. Um, okay, I'll- oh my I will i this is I impressive, gotta, but I- I just need out this out the thing chairs. to play underwriting, not
4: stand back. Look gallop out. around the room on
9: hooves. Ha! <laughs> you peasants have no grasp on humor, do you? Can you make no time for some simple wizard's comedy? Or are your provincial radio needs so important?
7: Oh, I didn't mean any disrespect at all, trust me. No,
9: I understand. Clearly, your precious broadcast requires immediate attention. Very well. Allow me to address your concerns properly. Ut
8: russes un proteste et virtute remove! You know... Strucker, we need to work on your interpersonal skills. Are you
4: high? The station robot is racing around the room on what appears to be spider legs. What the hell am I supposed to do now?
9: How dare you speak to me with such insolence? Insolence. You dare question my eldritch methods? This is a mere, uh, um, arcane difficulty. But you have impugned upon my methods one too many times. Begone, ye mortal. Return to thy I realm and watch. The
7: great wizard is angry.
9: Leave now and take your laptop. Leave now and take your impudence with you. you go. Hey, watch your fingers. Passium
8: tremendous casti. Hey, hey, look sharp. Kyle, I swear to God, I'm
7: absolutely going to oh, kill you. Yeah. this is the future shock. We're chill, everyone. Wait, is that,
8: is that Logan? Oh, man, we haven't seen him since. Episode 34. The Computer Mancer summoned the spirit of the Bridgeport Hyperweb, and that is I. Oh. Well, what have you been doing all this time? Well, mainly avoiding Ed and trying to find more IDM DJs. Jamie really hates that stuff. And while we're on the subject, Jamie, you haven't been nearly evil enough. I'm sorry, boss. Your title is Evil Station Manager. I'm
4: I'm sorry, boss.
8: Don't call me boss. I'm, I'm sorry, boss. Well, let's get this all sorted out. It seems the lumpen laptop was contaminated with the demon from Portsbridge. Did you guys travel to the world of Level Eater without protection? Ah, yeah, that was me. Of course it was. A simple little bit of reversing code, and the lumpen laptop is good as new. For 2010, anyway. Ha ha ha. Hell yeah. Thanks, Logan. And now I must return to my creche somewhere above Phil's.
4: What a hero. Is there anything he can't do? But what are we going to do with the, uh, computer, Manser?
7: Oh, I've got an idea.
9: That's $11.99. Thanks for shopping at Maria's.
8: Hey, um, excuse me, Logan? What is it, my child? I pawned the tape recorder you gave me, like... I know. Um, but the thing is, the episodes keep getting recorded, like everything that Kyle and I say shows up on these shows and i haven't even had like a microphone the bridgeport hyperweb knows all and sees all my child go with grace really you should go with grace the copro was out of toilet paper again
3: oh no
4: This week on the Trump Diaries, Trump calls America's death totals from the virus a success. Trump smears a TV host using a dead woman even as her widow asks him to stop. America suffers its first terror attack since 9-11 planned from abroad. Trump rages as Twitter calls him a liar. And Trump plays golf without a mask over Memorial Day as we hit 100,000 dead from the virus. You'll see that picture in November. These are the Trump Diaries. Day 1219, May 22nd. Trump demanded that state governors open houses of worship right now and threaten to override them if restrictions on worship aren't lifted. Trump, in fact, does not have the authority to override state orders at all. Many churches also balked at Trump's words, saying it was too soon. Later in the day, the CDC released interim guidance labeling all places of worship essential. Trump did not, in fact, attend church this weekend himself. Trump refused to wear a mask while touring the Ford manufacturing plant in Michigan, despite an executive order from the state's governor and an imploring message from Michigan's attorney general. Trump claimed, quote, I had one on before in an area that was not visible to the press, but it was not necessary. I didn't want to give the press the pleasure of seeing it. Trump subsequently accused the Michigan attorney general of, quote, taking out her anger and stupidity after she called him a petulant child who refuses to follow the rules. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell told House Republicans that enhanced unemployment benefits enacted this spring, quote, will not be in the next bill. A $600 per week federal unemployment benefit is to expire at the end of July. Republicans believe the money is a disincentive for workers to return to their jobs, which is bizarre considering most states are under lockdown orders. Trump told Fox News, quote, we are not closing our country again if the United States is hit by a second wave of infections. People say that's a very distinct possibility at standard. We are going to put out the fires. We are not going to close the country. We can put out the fires, whether it is an ember or a flame. We are going to put it out, but we are not closing our country. Trump withdrew from his fourth major international arms control treaty. The Open Skies Treaty allowed unarmed reconnaissance flights to confirm nations are not preparing for military action. Trump has claimed Russia has been violating the agreement by blocking the U.S. from flying surveillance missions over their country. NATO is a signatory to that agreement as well. And the Senate confirmed Representative John Ratcliffe as the next Director of National Intelligence in a 49-44 to 44 vote along party lines. That is the most votes against confirmation that any Director of National Intelligence has ever had. Day 1220, May 23rd. The Senate Homeland Security Committee authorized a subpoena that targets Joe Biden's son, Hunter. Senator Ron Johnson claims Blue Star Corporation tried to leverage Hunter Biden's position on their board to influence the U.S. State Department during the Obama administration. Trump has openly encouraged the Senate's investigation. Senate subpoenas are exceptionally rare. Democrats protested against the opening of a politically charged investigation on allegations that have been disproven. Trump openly questioned the official coronavirus death toll saying the numbers are inflated. Most statisticians and public health experts say he is wrong. The death toll is probably far higher than what is being publicly counted. Trump's reelection campaign promoted a top political advisor to deputy campaign manager. Bill Stepien, who previously served as the White House's political director, will now serve under Brad Parscale. Parscale's job has been under threat after an intervention at the White House last week by former Trump employees who told him he was losing badly in key states to Joe Biden. Trump then erupted profanely at Parscale, blaming him for the decline in his polling and approval numbers. Trump has not completed his annual physical. The White House declined to explain why. In November, Trump made an unscheduled visit to Walter Reed National Military Center. At the time, the White House claimed it was to, quote, begin portions of Trump's routine annual physical exam that included a quick exam in labs. It was, in fact, suspected at the time he had suffered a health emergency and Trump has refused to preside over the traditional unveiling of President Obama's official White House portrait. Day 1221, May 24th. A worrying study conducted by the CDC estimates that roughly a third of coronavirus infections are asymptomatic and around 40% of transmission occurs before people feel sick. The CDC said its current best estimate is that 0.4% of people who have the virus will die a study of 96,000 hospitalized patients across six continents found those who received hydroxychloroquine had a significantly higher death rate than those who did not. That study caused WHO to suddenly end the trial. France would subsequently ban its use. Trump recently claimed he has been taking the drug for the last few weeks. He apparently owns a small stake in the company that makes it. Trump is ending sanctions waivers that allow Russian, Chinese, and European companies to work at Iranian nuclear sites. The waivers are part of the Obama-era Iran ban program and are strongly supported by NATO because they've reduced Tehran's incentive to enrich uranium. They also provide oversight of Iran's atomic program. State Department head Mike Pompeo, however, said the waivers must end because of Iran's continued nuclear escalation. Day 1222, May 25th. Trump spent Memorial Day on a tweet storm that included mocking female politicians and spreading conspiracy theories. Trump called Stacey Abrams shamu, repeatedly mocked Nancy Pelosi's appearance, and called Hillary Clinton a skank. Trump also claimed without evidence that mail-in voting results in ballot stuffing and voter fraud. Trump also sent a series of tweets claiming that MSNBC host Joe Scarborough had murdered an aide, which is false. Even Trump's allies recalled at the attacks with the normally slavish hard-right newspaper The Washington Examiner, calling them, quote, a crazed rant, vile and unworthy of his office. Trump spent both Saturday and Sunday golfing at his private club in Virginia. During the Memorial Day holiday, he made no mention of the sacrifice Americans traditionally honor on the holiday, nor the lives lost from the virus. The World Health Organization warned of an immediate second peak if measures are ended too soon, even in areas where COVID-19 is declining. Trump threatened to move the Republican Party's national convention from Charlotte, North Carolina, if that state will not commit to, quote, full attendance at the gathering. Calling Governor Roy Cooper, quote, in a shutdown mood, Trump said he would move it to Florida. Trump's threat apparently came while the GOP was negotiating with Cooper about social distancing. The tweet came out of left field. North Carolina is in the midst of a mushrooming number of viral cases. Former Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein will testify next week as part of a Judiciary Committee probe into the FBI's Russia investigation. Rosenstein appointed Robert Mueller as special counsel after then Attorney General Jeff Sessions recused himself. Rosenstein also signed off on the FISA warrant, monitoring Trump aide Carter Page. He is thought to be facing hostile questions from the committee, egged on by Trump. Trump suspended all travel to the U.S. from Brazil by non-U.S. citizens. Brazil as the second largest number of reported cases behind the U.S. Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro has dismissed the virus as a little flu, despite a rapidly rising death toll in his cities. Bolsonaro was also reportedly blindsided by the move, which added to his political pressure at home. And Trump, who once claimed COVID-19 was no worse than the flu himself, then claimed it was a success that our coronavirus death toll was just 100,000 people, rather than a million or more. But privately, Trump is furious that the virus has derailed what he saw as a clear path to re-election, claiming privately that the intelligence community let him down. In fact, that community warned Trump early and often about the coronavirus, and so did his own wife. reported Vanity Fair notes that Melania Trump told her husband to take it seriously in February. He blew her off. Day 1,223, May 26th. It was revealed that the United States suffered the first deadly terrorist attack on U.S. soil since 9-11 that was planned abroad. Attorney General William Barr and the FBI announced that data from the cell phones of a Saudi Air Force trainee who killed three U.S. soldiers and wounded eight at Navy Air Force Base in Florida on December 6th confirmed it was an act of foreign-planned terrorism. The gunman Mohammed al had significant ties to al-Qaeda not only before the attack but even after he arrived in the U.S. in August of 2017. Twitter is facing increased scrutiny after a series of tweets by Trump that attacked a media host by linking him falsely to a woman's death. The widower of Lori Klatsitis, whose death Trump has falsely used to smear MSNBC host Joe Scarborough, was told by Twitter the service would not remove those defamatory tweets. Mr. Klatsitis called Trump's tweets horrifying and said his late wife is being used as a political cudgel. Twitter refused to delete the tweets, claiming they did not violate the company's terms of service. However, Twitter's own policies say users, quote, may not engage in the targeted harassment of someone or incite other people to do so. A conservative organization working to restrict voting in the 2020 election is part of a dark money network helping Trump to remake the federal court system. The so-called Honest Elections Project is a legal alias for judicial elections, a conservative group that has played a role in the unprecedented effort to reshape the judiciary by appointing scores of conservative judges. The HEP is now running ads warning of the quote dangers of mail-in voting. They've accused Democrats of cheating and they have threatened states with lawsuits. The HEP has also filed briefs in favor of voting restrictions in several states. They are represented by the same law firm that represents Trump. The Justice Department said it would not pursue insider trading charges against three senators, Kelly Loeffler, James Inhofe, and, and Diane Feinstein made stock sales after receiving classified briefings on the pandemic threat in January. All three denied a connection and said their stocks were actually controlled by outside managers. However, Senator Richard Burr's mid-February stock sales have drawn scrutiny from the Justice Department and SEC. FBI agents recently seized Burr's cell phone, and he was forced to step down as the head of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Day 1224, May 27th. Trump threatens social media companies with new regulations or even a shutdown, after Twitter for the first time labeled two of his tweets as false. Trump can neither regulate or close the companies, but, quote, claiming tech giants silence conservative voices, Trump said, quote, we will strongly regulate or close them down before we can ever allow this to happen, big action to follow. Trump has repeatedly and falsely accused a media member of murdering an aide. Trump is said to be set to issue an executive order that would change regulations under the Communications Decency Act. That law largely exempts online platforms from legal liability for material their users post. Such changes could expose tech companies to more lawsuits. It could also coarsen dialogue on many websites. A reporter asked Trump if he had seen the letter that was written by the husband begging Twitter to delete your tweets, talking about how hard it's been for his family for him. Trump replied, yeah, I have, but I'm sure they ultimately want to get to the bottom of it. Trump's press secretary dodged questions about Trump's behavior, but when confronted by the fact that she has voted by mail in every Florida election since 2010, insisted that mail-in voting is still rife with fraud. This is false. Kayla McDenny said, quote, absentee voting has the word absent in it for a reason. It means you're absent from the jurisdiction. Trump is against the Democrat plan to politicize the coronavirus and expand mass mail-in voting without a reason. In fact, Florida does not have absentee voting. Anyone can vote by mail for any reason in that state. And weather forced postponement of the first manned rocket launch from American soil in a decade. The launch of two NASA astronauts on a rocket built by SpaceX, as the company started by Elon Musk, was to have marked the start of an era of human spaceflight outside of national space agencies. Trump was in attendance and had been planning to use the event as a campaign kickoff. Day 1225, May 28th. The United States has officially passed 100,000 Americans dead from the novel coronavirus. That is the population of a good-sized small city such as Boca Raton, Florida. Mark Short, the Chief of Staff's Vice President Mike Pants, owns at least $1.6 million worth of stocks in companies doing work related to Trump's pandemic response. Those stock holdings appear to violate conflict of interest laws. Certain company short holds such as CVS, Thermo Fisher, Walmart and Roche have also been publicly touted by the White House for their work. Protests and unrest hit Minneapolis in the wake of the killing of a black man by a white police officer who leaned on his neck for nine minutes. Hundreds of protesters poured into the streets for a second night in a row. Police used tear gas and fired rubber bullets into the crowds. At least one business was looted, several others were set on fire. Protests were also held in Chicago, Memphis, and Los Angeles. Two dozen states have filed suit against Trump for its reversal of fuel efficiency standards for cars and trucks. The states, led by California and supported by four automakers, say the reversal is based on bad science and endangers public health. That battle is now likely to reach the Supreme Court. Hong Kong police again stifled large protests arresting more than 300 people protests came as China's legislature approved a plan that would impose laws on Hong Kong that could be used to suppress seemingly any act authorities in Beijing consider threats to national security. In response, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said the State Department no longer considered Hong Kong to have significant autonomy and indicated the United States would end special trade and economic relations with the territory. That would be a severe punishment with far-reaching consequences. Hong Kong is a global financial hub. And Trump's campaign tried to have a cartoon drawn by the Pulitzer winner Nick Anderson pulled. Trump's campaign filed a trademark claim over the cartoon claiming that Anderson's depiction of Trump with his supporters in MAGA hats, serving them a drink that had been labeled Clorox, somehow violated his copyright. That claim was rejected. 51% of Americans who rely on the White House for coronavirus news believe the pandemic is overblown. Americans who instead rely on state and local governments for information, 67% of them say the pandemic in fact has been underplayed. 65% of Americans think it will take at least six months before things return to normal as states reopen. 56% of voters say Trump does not care about average Americans. 60% say he has done an awful job handling the pandemic. Trump is now losing by 10 points to Joe Biden in several battleground states. These are the Trump Diaries.
0: Studio A has been closed due to the pandemic. Please enjoy this track from local group The Sunshine Boys. It was recorded by Ari Shellist.
3: Ways digging deep as he was able in ways he could barely understand. He signed it and sealed it, and sent it with a shaky hand, hoping oh, his note was in flight. He lay twisting in the infinite night, kept awake by the question. More and more questions She tore open the letter And pulled each paragraph apart She says my valentine loves me By the scruff of his scuffed up heart She thought it I one of too But she knew that it might never be How did someone so lost ever find their way to me Hoping with slow buzz in flights How did someone make it so right To we by the questions More and more questions Tea and retreated beneath the eaves, looking at a favorite tree and reading the leaves. She smoothed out the paper and twisted open her pen, and dove down the pieces of a broken heart once again. She filled up the page and just like lions leaping out of a cage came all the questions more and more questions out came the questions only came questions
6: C-Y-F-M.
10: And And right. here's what I've seen. Here's what I've seen. Yeah. There are your individuals who have access to proper, uh, quote-unquote, proper uh, surgical sort of style face masks, right? You have individuals who have cloth yeah. face masks that they've either made themselves or purchased elsewhere. But there's a third category, and a third category I've seen mm-hmm. that's growing, … and is what would really tip me off as to what's actually at work here, and that is individuals who are using bandanas as face masks. All right? I, I see this more and more, and I think, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? Well, here's what it means. Who wears, who wears bandanas over their faces? Historically speaking, what is the demographic hmm. that wears bandanas over their faces? Jesse James yep yep cool is that a person dF you have to confirm I'm not into entirely sure almost certainly um Billy the kid yeah we', are, we we're sure that these are people these I, are these are not well they're they were characters they they, that were they, they, they they were human beings I don't know if I characterize them as people as such uh, given what they were, which is cowboys, okay. <laughs> given the fact, given the fact that they had no faces due to their bandanas, they, 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 these these are all cowboys. The, the, the bandana over the face is the, the 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 quintessential cowboy attire, with the exception of maybe the hat, but that's that's debatable. That's up to the scholars to decide. Uh, so, right, yeah. I wear some. You know, I see I see a lot of a lot of people with uh, folk guitars wear those hats. A lot of modern country musicians; those people, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even call my worst enemy uh, a cowboy. Well, that and, and you know, that's the thing that that same that same uh country music is merely the propaganda arm of the Westernware industrial complex, and and that's who I think has their finger in the pie. I think that's who's. Pushing, who pushed the, the scientists, made the scientists look like fools by, 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 by retracting their previous statement into making people wear. Face masks. Because they you know people won't buy face masks. If they're disposable, they're gonna buy two boxes, get bored of it, and try and move on to something else. And the people that get cloth ones, they're gonna break and get frayed, and they're gonna just have to figure something out. And it all goes back to bandanas. And so, what the Western wear industrial complex wants to do here is normalize cowboys. That's what this whole mask thing is about, alright? Don't, don't get confused. Don't think it has anything else to do besides Putting cowboys back on the street.
3: Broadcast every Saturday, at
10: to
0: p.m. The Lumpin' Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is overseen by Jamie Trekker, voiceovers by Shanna Volt, additional production by Cole Eisenberg, Julie Wu, Sergio Rodriguez, Neil Gaynor, Lane Gerbig, Alexander Jerry, John Piotrowski, Ari Schellist, and Annie Klein. Live music production by Ari Shellist. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. The Lumpen Radio Sting is by Dan Jugal. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com.